0: Welcome to the City of Mathematics. Melinda Christ created a place where anyone who considers themselves... Math challenged can find their way in her book, A Name of Their Own: The Story of Place Value, Mathematics City, Book One. She was born and raised in Alaska, where she's also a teacher in Anchorage. So that's a major city up there, right?
1: It is. It's a it's a major city. It's the biggest city in Alaska. Hundreds of thousands of people. Lots of the normal stores and other things that people are used to. Um, tons of restaurants and. Busy streets and highways and freeways and all that. So some people, the weather gets to it. We do have um, an interesting times of year when we have like daylight that's almost 24 hours a day. And and then um, we have other times like now when um, the sun gets up around 10 o'clock and, and it sets around 4. <laughs> so wow. The only thing I don't like is when it gets really cold uh, in January. Um, typically, it'll get, you know, like... Uh, below zero and then there'll be a chill factor and stuff and so you know then it's pretty cold I do not like ice so that part gets me a bit in winter yeah. but most of the time it's great
0: yeah do you have a dog sled
1: uh no I don't <laughs> I do have three dogs though I have two Pembrokes and one Shelby uh, how long
0: have you been writing
1: well let's see uh, I think I've been riding since I was a kid Um, But I just recently decided to um, see about getting something published. Um, The story that I had published, I'd actually been sharing with my class for over 20 years. um, And it developed a little bit further um, from there. But uh, I just finally decided, you know, it was time to actually share it with people, aside from my regular class of kids.
0: How old are the kids that you're teaching?
1: Uh, The kids that I was teaching were in second and third grade. So I've taught as young as kindergarten, but it was basically whenever they would come up against the um, the topic of place value in their math curriculum that I would share this with them because they would have a lot of trouble understanding the concept and this would really help. And it was you know, something that my um, my math methods teacher in college had introduced me to the concept and it just kind of spun from there. So. The kids loved it. I thought, why not share it with other people?
0: Is this a series?
2: It will
1: hopefully be a series. Um, There's another book um, that that has actually already been written. Um, That story is Mathematics City Book Two, and it's actually the story of rounding um, and uh, rounding numbers, because that's another one that kids have trouble with. So there is a book two, and and then there's a book three that's partway written. So it, it is part of a series.
0: Okay, so why is place value so difficult for kids? Well, they have trouble
1: understanding it. um, And it's like anything else, kids like to know why. And so, you know, in in that respect, it's it's hard to tell them why is this called thousands? Why do we say the word hundred when we're reading the number? Um, Why is this millions or billions? Or how is this bigger than the other, and why did it get a different name? I mean, this is still a five, but we're putting it in a different spot, and so it's worth something different, um, and it's called something different, and so um, understanding all those concepts and, and why it is actually important. Um, at the same time, um, because it just naturally goes along with it, I've included some social-emotional learning in the book, um, and so there is a, um, a thread of gossip and how gossip can can hurt and happen. And, you know, when somebody has the same name as somebody else, you know, you don't really know who the person's talking about. And so in the case of the numbers, if they're all called five or they're all called one and you don't know what their value is, it can cause a real problem.
0: Just like people. Yes. I just think it's so creative that you've made this into a little town. It's like you live here and there's a street, you know, the numeration factory and, you know, welcome to the city of mathematics. I think that's just so, that's so interesting. Could you describe that?
1: (laughs) It is like a little town. Um, The numbers all live on a street and the streets um, filled with houses. Uh, The houses all have identical um, doors and windows and mailboxes and, and flower beds and things like that. The numbers themselves have humanistic characteristics, so they they are like real people um, as far as the way they function and and act. Now there are some people in Mathematic City as well, but they're mostly um, most of the characters are, are numbers, and that's what it's it's geared towards. Um, and you know because everybody lives in houses that are exactly the same except for their size increases. And everything, you know, it's hard to know um, whose house is whose and and things like that, Um, the same way with mailboxes and things. And so they have to figure out how to problem solve and how to um, fix these things that would cause problems otherwise. And everything, things that we're used to because our houses have numbers on them already and and, um, they might even have a person's name on the mailbox and things like that. But in, in this city, that hasn't happened yet. and and everything and they have a factory that they work at Um, there's you know there's parks there's playgrounds there's different types of apartment buildings and different things like that Um, because it is really like its own individual land and and everything but the numbers are you know um they're the characters. They have arms and legs. They have eyes. They have facial expressions, you know, Um, and and they are busy working and doing a job. And anybody that does much with math knows that those numbers um, are things that we work with. And and they are, um, you know, actively helping us to solve problems. So in this case, um, they um, are just, you know, very, very humanistic characteristics. They've got those human qualities added to them uh, to make them come alive in a fantasy that kids can relate to and everything, but also give them a very clear understanding hopefully of um, why place values and import is important and, and how to remember it when you're saying it or reading it or things like that um, so that it um, makes it a lot easier for them um, to actually read numbers and, and understand it and, and, recognize the difference between the sizes and
0: things like that i i love looking at you know the the little six and the little four and it looks like you did a youtube video um is mr is mr infinity the guy who looks like the uh thomas the tank engine guy okay yes
1: that's mr infinity um You know, he kind of reminds me of um, the colonel from Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) There you go. Yes, I I wasn't thinking about Thomas the Tank Engine at all, but he's exactly the way I pictured him in my imagination. And he's the one that is in charge of the factory. Um, And if you think about it, um, the reason why he has his name is because numbers go on and on and on for infinity. So um, that's where his name came from. And and everything and he's mr. Infinity and he's in charge of all the numbers of the factory and all the different departments Which is a lot of responsibility. So when there's problems. Oh my goodness. It can give you a headache (laughs) Because he has to deal with all of them
0: I wish I had this when I was a kid. I mean you just said the word math and I I, there was a block in my brain (laughs) But if I had like these cute little numbers to look at I might have had a chance You know, Mm -hmm. it's very logical Yes, and
1: this allows you to make connections. You get to make those connections that will help to um, draw it into your mind and, and make a reference to it so that it'll be easier and everything. And actually make math be fun because, you know, math is fun for some people all the time, but a lot of people it's not. And a lot of people it is a struggle for and something, you know, that they're just like, I don't get this. I don't get this. Well, this is to hopefully help them to get
0: it, to
1: understand it. And in, in that regards, um, I've also had feedback from some parents as well as some teachers that said, we love the book and we'd love to have something to use with our kids afterwards so that they could, um, you know, read the story and then turn around and be able to, um, To do something with their students with it. And so um, on that regard, there's a workbook that goes with the book that was created specifically for it and um, is available out there on Teacher Pay Teacher for just a little bit because it's not designed to be expensive. Um, It's designed to help them with the book. But the kids actually get to design their own math characters on the pages as well as doing different problems and games and activities that Go along with what the book talks about, and build your own little math characters so they can make a cute little six and a little four, and all that um, are on every page so that if there's those kids that they get done fast and they get done early, they can you know color their little characters, add the expressions, the faces that they want, and and design them and make them their own. and. And help to keep the book
0: alive for them this is great now now, yeah every time I talk to a teacher who comes up with a creative idea and you know writes a book and there's so many creative teachers out there I mean that's why they say it's a calling because you truly have to love what you do to come up with some of this stuff I just wish there was a big bin that all of these great ideas could go into where every teacher in the world could go to this bin and say, "Okay, how can I make math easier?" Here's here's a program, you know, from Alaska. And you would think through education that it would be easy for teachers to get ideas like this out there, but it's not, is it? No. Yeah. No, it's
1: not. They they have to know really where to look and and what to look for and hope <laughs> because I mean you could search forever and not find things. You know, one of the places that people go a lot, our um, teacher, paid teacher, or on Amazon, you know, they can search out um, on a topic. They can search out on the wide web looking for things and they'll get some good ideas, hopefully. Um, but there's there's a lot of stuff that isn't, you know, worth spending your time on. You know, you really have to look creatively for things. And I haven't found anything like what I wrote out there. I haven't. And I really felt like it should be shared with the world because There's just so many people that are struggling with so many areas and to make it fun is something that needs to happen more um, in education, especially because in this day and age, we have so many kids that have been through trauma. And it could be trauma because there was an earthquake. It could be because mom and dad are divorced. It could be because of any number of things that people don't even necessarily look at as trauma and think of it that way. But it shuts them down when it comes to their education. And it can cause them to, under any kind of stress, not be able to function the way they normally would. So when they're presented with this math topic that starts to feel stressful, Because their brain just like stops working. It stops engaging. It starts blanking out. And so the more we can make it so that it's understandable and it's fun and it's relaxed, the better chance there is to reach everyone and for all those kids to be able to function and, and to keep going. You know, these are the kids that sometimes if they think they might be in trouble or they think that they're being called on for something that they don't know, they can't even talk. And it's not that they don't want to. It's that they've been through some stuff and it's affecting them right then. Right. And so, you know, making it fun is, is super important. And, you know, everything in life that we're doing can't necessarily be fun, but this can. Right. you know. And so if we have those opportunities, we need to take them.
0: How do you get this out of Alaska?
1: Social media. There are also, um, you know, different book fairs and distributors, you know, but getting the word out is important and sharing it with other people is is really important having people actually read the book and give feedback is is huge it's one of those things the, the more people will share and talk about things the better if i tell one person and they tell two people and those two people tell two more people and pretty soon it's four people telling two people each and that becomes eight and and it builds momentum and there are different teacher conferences and things like that that do happen, but they're not typically on, you know, creative ideas like this. Um, there might be a, a little resource library and things, but most of the time it's like textbook material that would be being um, offered there, not not children's books. These kind of things, it's, it's found out um, by word of mouth or because it's being published
0: out somewhere. Right. So are you doing anything on your own to get it out there? Uh,
1: well, we have social media accounts that just actually started up, as well as a YouTube channel. Um, I have an author's page on Facebook, as well as on Instagram. Um, there's a Pinterest thing that's that's coming out. The the teacher pay teacher advertises the book there as well. But just different ways to to try to to notify um, and let people know um, that it exists and and that uh, it is
0: being and is being talked about. Melinda. Great idea. Um, I'm looking forward to the next book. Thank you. This is great stuff. You know, coming from somebody like, I can't even balance a checkbook. I mean, you know, (laughs) it's bad. (laughs) I understand. I'm always thrilled when it balances. (laughs) <laughs> this was great i really enjoyed talking to you i want to come to alaska <laughs> you should
1: you really should but not right now because it's really cool
0: al morgan helps out at her grandmother's company in wisconsin and when she gets some spare time she's reading and watching movies she's only been writing for a couple of years and already she's published her first book remembrance of vita so what made you start writing i
3: had i had a very big imagination as a kid and um I always daydreamed in fact I missed a lot of lessons because of it but as I got older I the idea of writing popped into my head but it was always like one of those goals that was far away and it was like a bigger risk to take and everything so I never really put too much thought into it um up until like two or three years ago when I really wanted to write and it was really bugging me because I was reading all these great stories and I was like well I want to do one um so uh We actually at the job I worked at at the time, they had a um, speaker come in and it was more work related. But he said something that kind of stuck with me. And he basically just said, have the courage to be imperfect. And I realized no author is perfect. I find plot holes and mistakes in some of my favorite authors and they're still just as great. Um, So I kind of just took the risk and finally did it because I accepted the fact that it wasn't going to be perfect my first time or any time after that.
0: What kind of books, you know, what author do you like to read?
3: Um, I love Sarah J. Mass. She, I absolutely adore her writing. Um, and then I've been looking and not necessarily, I haven't actually been able to a lot of reading lately, but um, when I do, I try going more towards like mystery or um, fantasy with some like light aspects of horror. I love that stuff. And that's what I put in my books. Um, But besides Sarah J. Maas, I think one of my other more bigger authors that I read um, was Julie Kagawa. Um, She's a bit of an older author. I don't see her stuff out as much anymore, but I still love her
0: writing and her stories. And you find holes in their plots sometimes.
3: Not necessarily too much in those series, um, but I mean Harry Potter. (laughs) There's been so Harry Potter. Yeah, there's been so many plot holes that um, have been pointed out to me over the years and i'm like wow there really are a lot of potholes like what um i'm trying to think
0: i read all of those books because my kids were reading them and i was like i know i gotta know what they're reading so i'm gonna read it too yeah right did anything in particular inspire your book i think it was just mainly my
3: imagination and the stories that i would like subconsciously just kind of go through in my head um but a lot of the inspiration came from my favorite authors um like, Sarah J. Maas, I love her writing style. And obviously, I don't try mimicking it or anything. But she's very straight to the point. She doesn't draw on or anything. She's, I just love her stories. Um, And I've always loved fantasy more than anything. So I think I just, I really wanted to create my own world that I could escape into or, like, that other people could escape into, like my favorite authors did for me.
0: So tell me about your book.
3: So it's definitely fantasy. Um, I try keeping it a little bit of a darker fantasy. And then with some some of those light aspects of horror, but basically, um, my main character, she's a younger girl, and she um, was found in the forest with no memories of her life and an old couple takes her in and she kind of lives in this impoverished town for a while. And not many people come there, but one night a strange man comes there, has a strange conversation with her, and ends up kidnapping her later and bringing her to a completely different realm. And suddenly magic exists, and there's all kinds of creatures. Um, So it's kind of her navigating her way through all of this with no memories of her past and seeing who she can trust and trying to regain those memories and kind of rediscover the world she was originally
0: from she's just lost throughout this entire book looking for answers oh, like yeah. like walking through the dark no lights no
3: yeah yeah and she's just she is thrusted into different places all the time and She's kind of, She's just like a piece that they're moving around all the time, and she's really trying to figure out where she actually belongs and who she can trust, because obviously a lot of people from that realm are telling her things, but she's not sure what she can actually believe.
0: So she's in one realm, and then there's people in another realm?
3: Yeah, so I kind of built it where she came from, like the mortal realm, where we would be, and then... Um, I kind of put her into this like fairy realm. So um, not like little pixie fairies, but like if you think elves of Lord of the Rings, like those kind of fairies are really powerful, like beautiful creatures. And um, she's kind of put into that world and she's told that she's a part of it, but she obviously doesn't know who to believe or who to trust. So it's kind of her discovering all these creatures and people on her own.
0: Well, you say that creatures commit vile deeds. Like, what's going yeah. on around her?
3: Uh, so, there was actually a little snippet. You get to see a little snippet of the village that I originally put her in. And um, there's a portion where they talk about a little kid going missing. And then there's, like, brief mentions of kids going missing, like human children. Um, so, I'm kind of putting in there that the creatures have to do with the kids going missing. And, you know, kids are, you know, dying and... um the creatures that I, some of them I created and some are from folklore, um, I mean, I try making them as scary as possible. So, you know, they eat kids and they do creepy
0: things. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. and, and you, you say that realms rage on the brink of war. This is in your book description.
3: Yes. Um, when she comes back into that realm and she's discovering it, um, there's also talk of an uprising and um, The realms are kind of unsettled, and there's kind of a threat of war, um, and they don't know where it's coming from or who's causing it.
0: Are the people responsible for her losing her memory, possibly the ones who took her?
3: That's uh, actually that's kind of one of the main plots. So you figure it out as you read. Yeah.
0: You know, this weird guy kind of knows where to find her in this place that not many people know about. So, so that would make sense. Oh, and she doesn't know who to trust, whether this guy who came back to find her or the people that she's meeting. And, you know, did she Mm -hmm. do something horrible that she doesn't remember doing? That's my question.
3: Um, I'm still actually deciding on that. So um, in the first book, she's kind of journeying towards um, what took her memories or what happened. Um, And then eventually she will get all her memories back and they're going to come back to her one by one. And that's more towards like the second book um, that she'll be getting those back fully. So I'm actually still deciding what all I want to throw in there. I know like my main plots and everything that, I, that are already in there, but I'm still debating throwing some more in.
0: <laughs> Does the elderly couple, are, are they trustworthy? Did they, were their intentions sincere?
3: Oh, yeah. No, they, those are actually two of my mom's favorite characters. Oh. They're just very sweet. They're just people. good
0: people. <laughs>
3: oh, good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so this is a trilogy.
3: Yeah. Yep. Eventually. Yep.
0: And you're just taking it one step at a time.
3: I am. It took me a little less than a year to write this first one, so I'm hoping to publish my second one sometime next year.
0: Now, how are you building an audience?
3: Um, I have, like, a Facebook group. People can join, um, and I post a lot of my book updates there. Um, I'm hoping to do more book signings, or not more. I haven't done any yet, but I'm hoping to do a book signing soon. I have a lot of people that I know distantly and close that all want their copy signed, so I'm going to have to figure that out soon, but... um, other than that, it's just a lot of posting on Facebook, and then marketing where I can. Is that generating any interest,
0: the the posting on Facebook?
3: So I actually started posting in the group before the book was actually published to get people, you know, geared up for it and get people in the group. Um, it's not a large following. A lot of it is like friends and family or friends of friends. And some people are in there, I don't know. But um, they kind of just follow along. And then when the book was published, um, they all went and got their copies. So it worked and it worked well in terms of the first publishing. That's
0: great. So that does work. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good. No, that's good for people to know. Cause you try, you know, I try to talk to people about that. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, people, that's where they get stuck. You know, it's like, Ugh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you know,
3: no, I, it's crazy. I thought I was the only one, but I have l- listened to so many podcasts and people, Authors are saying the hardest part about publishing a book wasn't writing the book. It was marketing it and getting it out there and gaining attraction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Unless it has a specific like I, I interviewed a woman who wrote a book about a dog. So she goes to kennels and veterinarian yeah. offices. Right. So you, yeah, she's got a little niche there.
2: Yeah. But A book like yep. this
0: is just, you know, it's hard it is you know you're looking for that audience um but if you if you are getting some traction on facebook that's a really good sign yeah if there is a bookstore near you or a library where you can gather a group together and talk about it that's good right book clubs um a lot of people are talking to me about book clubs
3: Yeah, I have seen a lot. I was just looking the other day at um, literary events that I could go to to talk with other authors and there's a lot of book clubs out there. (laughs) There
0: are a lot of book clubs out there and people don't realize, you know, there's one in that local church that you pass every day. There's a group of ladies or ladies and men that get together and if they know there's a local author, that's, that's exciting to them.
3: Oh yeah. You know? Especially on Facebook too. It's a great way to really gain more of a group, but I'm part of a lot of like, uh, groups for books that I've read or series. Um, and they're great. I mean, they post memes and they all day related to the books. They post recommendations. It's, it's really great to be a part of.
0: How about Goodreads? I've heard a lot about that too.
3: Uh, yeah, I think it's good too. They have a lot of options on their site that I've seen so far. Um, I think it's a good source as well All right. to gain more books.
0: All right. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Let's go across the pond where we find David Clark, who has accomplished a lifelong dream. He's published The Connection, the first in a series of four books. And we are talking to you on Zoom, David. What do you do there in the UK? Write
2: books, basically, and take the dog for a walk.
0: That's it. That's amazing. Do you get paid to walk the dog? (laughs) I wish I did. So what did you do before
2: you started writing? Well, work-wise. Yeah. uh, I'm a teacher, trainer, and assessor in the the oil and gas industry. I did retire, but I'm looking for work again because I'm going to get a bit bored just with walking (laughs) the dog. So I always wanted to write, and I finally decided to do it after uh, after, after I had the stroke, and I'm from a uh, deathbed, and decided... uh, that the, the book that I wrote was in ten years in the making, and i would taken lots of notes of where I used to work. Right, I, I used to keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because I didn't know how to start the book. So then I had the stroke, and then when I was laying on my bed on the deathbed, I just thought, you know, I've got to, I've got to write this book because I could be dead tomorrow. You know, life was no boundary. So as soon as I got back to, to a living person, I, uh, that's when I started writing the book. So, what inspired your character? Your character reminds me of Jack Ryan. All right, yeah, uh, I suppose he's—he's he's like to me, he's like a, somebody I wanted to be. Do you know what I mean? He's like a bit of a hero type, and he—he's indestructible, and he—and he—he does things for the right people, for the good people, against the bad people. Which uh, you know, that's me all over. I like to be good rather than be bad.
0: In terms of the plot and the characters, did anything in your real life inspire that? Yes,
2: uh, <laughs> I met lots of lo- them characters that I've met are in that book, believe it or not, under different names, but uh, they have the same traces of people that I've met, bad ones. I've met some good ones, and they're in the book as well.
0: So you meet bad people in the oil and gas industry?
2: Well, believe, it, believe it or not, yes, yes. I've met some really nasty people, and I've, I've met extremists and all sorts from different countries, because you meet people from different countries, and they have some really terrible viewers. So tell me what your book is about. Well, it, basically we tell tell the story of James, who he is, where he's from, what he's done in his life. He used to be a he used to be a street fighter, and because in this town there's nothing else to do, uh, we can, you know, either go to school and be educated and you know super educated and move on in life, or you can be a fighter, and that's what he he, he did. Although he was educated, he got to a point where People were betting on him and he just felt, oh, this is this is not for me anymore. Because he got beat in one fight and he decided this is, you know, the pain and everything that was getting into him. He wanted to move on. So he spoke to his father and he, he said to him, because his father was an ex-servicist. So his father advised him to go in the army. So he went in the army and he discovered that the army was for him. Because every time ta- everything that he did in the army, he was the champion of. Whatever he did shooting. He went into boxing. He became disciplined, and that discipline helped him focus on what he was going to do. And from the after, because he was so good at being in the army, he got selected for the SAS. And then he was part of a four four man operations team who, who used to go on missions around the world looking for uh, uh, drug cartels, terrorists, and so on.
0: What is the SAS? No, the special
2: services, uh, like in the army, like Delta Force. Yeah Like a
0: Navy SEAL.
2: Yes, yeah. So then, because he, he was in that, that zone, that tunnel where he, where he was comfortable, but obviously he was getting to an end of his career because you get to a certain age in the army, you've got to move on. I said, the only one, young people. So when he got to around about 40, he had, he had to move on. And that's when he decided to... Again, nothing left in his life. He, he wanted to become a private investigator. So he set up his own business, which... <laughs> which wasn't very really well planned. That's when he got his first case. And from that case, it spawned the fact that he had to go to Singapore, Indonesia, and he met somebody in Singapore from his past life in the army, in the SAS, ghost who was another character. And then when he went to Singapore, that's when he, uh, sorry, when he went to Indonesia, this is when he finds the case that he's on. He's looking for this wife of the husband that he took the case on. But in the meantime, he gets... He gets employed by MI6 because the case that he's on, the, the, the woman that they're looking for, Kathy, she's she's mixed up in this this drugs cartel. So the MI6 want him to uh, work for them over in Indonesia, but he refuses. But he, he because they offered him lots of money, he says yes. And then when he's over in Indonesia, because he's he's mixed up in this case, he, he goes to an area where he's been cased by the uh, CIA. So the CIA recognizes James from uh, uh, many of the missions that they were involved in. So they meet up with him, and then he meets uh, the deputy CIA director, Stella Page, and she offers him a role for air. So now he's getting he's employed by two two major, shall we say, police forces, and he's also looking for this girl that's lost. Wow. So because what he's involved in, these guys that are involved in this case are all drugs. Drug barons, and it spawns even bigger because that not just drug barons. this is that this is going to the next book. So this is a side issue with the uh, with with this MI six and the CIA. He's basically looking for this missing wife, so he needs to find her for for the for the, you know the husband because he's devastated. So eventually, yes, I don't want to spoil the book, but yes, he finds her. Well, like Wait. you said to the guy, whether she's dead or alive, he's going to let her know. And so. The next book is an is a new
0: case. like does he do so a new case every book
2: it, it, yeah, it's part of this Murray with the first book. the people that the these villains that they meet are all part of this this barbed chain and it goes from one one end of the world to the, to the other from America to uh, Colombia to Indonesia to uh <laughs> as I've wrote about as i wrote about it, it's it's happening in Gaza now. It all goes to there as well. It all involves that bit, them them people. So by the way, I not I don't I'm not jumping on that I started the book before that started, the guys in Israel. So now, now how
0: are you generating
2: interest for this book? Well I well I was what I was doing was just photographing the book and then putting onto uh a reel and saying, you know, this book is available soon on Amazon. So but now now these other people have got involved, they've put a lot more posts on and they're telling the story of me. They're telling the story of, the, they even put extracts of the book on. And, they, and they're showing where the uh, YouTube channel is and everything, so.
0: I, I would think excerpts from this book would be really interesting. And another thing that would be interesting is background on these characters, how they grew up, what their parents were like, where they were from. How did they become like these villains, right? You know, were they ever good people? Did they become bad people? How did that, you know, there's like all kinds of things you could talk about.
2: Yeah, I don't know how to do that. I could do that. I could have a page and do that, but I don't know how to. I don't know how to make that public to people. But I'm not social media savvy at all. Well, I plan to do a book sign, but I can arrange that with a... Like I'm a part of this holiday group, and I've already arranged with them that once the book starts to sell, I will go, I will go there. And they've said, yes, 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 you can do it. You can do a book sign and everything. So... That's okay. in the middle of England, so I, I would get lots of people there.
0: Okay, that would be good. Have you been to to all of the places that you talk about? Yes,
2: some of them have characters I experienced while I was there yeah, in Singapore. Yeah. I mean, Christy's, Christy's one of the main characters. I actually met a Christie while I was in Singapore. It sounds a bit, uh, but I was I was walking back to my hotel because I was on a visa run from Indonesia, I was at I was at a I've been for a mail and i was walking back in the hotel and there was this girl obviously she was a lady of the night and she was just a picture of absolute beautiful yeah. and she just walked towards me and the things that she said in the book that's uh, that's what she said to me i want to read the book just to find out what she said to you
0: <laughs> listen it was very nice to meet you thank you so much and you yeah, thank you very much Lori Crabb has a pretty high pressure job as a sales and marketing executive, but somehow she finds the time to write and publish books. This one is entitled Dog Camp Through the Eyes of Betsy, when did you start writing? When did you find the time to start? You know,
4: writing? I'm I'm honestly I'm not a writer. It I've I've always had in my world little Maltese dogs and their little toys, and I've always had a woman that I would get my girls from when you know when one would die or whatever, and I'd known this woman for absolutely ever. And she called me one day and I had three of her girls already, but she called me and she said, I would like you to have um, this little girl. And I said, "Okay." And we called her Grandma Barb. She uh, was on the uh, Maltese Association, the National Maltese Association. And so extremely reputable woman. So but she says, you can't have her right away because um, she just had a baby and she lost their little puppy. So I said, well, just call me when, you know, I can pick her up. So she called me and she goes, this little girl's ready to come to your home. And I named her Betsy and Betsy in her personality wrote the book. I started jotting down notes on dog camp years ago about how I felt when our pooches had to go to a kennel or to the veterinarian while we were gone and how children must feel because I was kind of feeling the same way. Are they going to be okay? And I called and I said, is everything okay? Are they all right? You know, that kind of thing. So Betsy um, really, I started, I said to a friend of ours, I said, well, I've got this, you know, started jotting down and they said, finish it. And so I thought, well, what do I have to lose? So Betsy started writing and I watched her little annex and How I would feel if Betsy had to go to dog camp and it's for children that parents travel, you know, for work or whatever, Um, maybe their own little fur creatures have to go to dog camp and how these children sometimes can feel anxiety. And then it's like Betsy says, it's not really that bad. Don't tell anybody because I really do have fun. So I wanted children to realize that it's not all bad, that their pooches probably do have fun. So then I found a publisher, which was I had no idea how to do any of it. And my personality is just move forward, you know, show up and do it or fi- figure it out. And so, um found this publisher, Fulton Books, and um they took it. And I had three uh, publishers in the in Europe, and then three in the states. And I didn't, you know, I'm not linguistic person. So I thought, well, I better start in the United States. So that's how Betsy kind of evolved.
0: So how do you lay out the book? What are some of her antics?
4: The story goes, you know, that I'm hearing dog camp, you know, and then they're making a phone call and Betsy's watching, you know, that's like, oh my gosh, they're making a phone call. And then they start talking about, oh, Betsy, you're going to dog camp, you know, and then the little children of the family, then luggage comes out. And it's like, oh my gosh, what about my, the puppy dog dog? Betsy says, what about my luggage? And then it's like, uh oh, now the day is coming where I'm going in my car with my other sisters and I'm going to dog camp and the children are holding her and saying, oh, we're going to miss you. And Betsy's saying, now, don't don't get too excited because I'm going to have fun. And then she gets to dog camp. She has her own handler, her own personal attendant. And she gets to spa, she gets to play, you know, and it's like, I'm just having a good time. And my sleeping quarters aren't the same because I like to sleep on my, my, you know, family's beds, but it's Okay. Because my family's sleeping quarters aren't the same either, I'll bet, on their vacation or whatever, right? (laughs) And then one day she gets this beautiful shower, they dress her all up, and guess what? My family's home and I get to go home. And it's for children that just, you know, maybe have anxieties about, oh my gosh, I just feel bad that my dog has to go to dog camp and we're not going to see her for a while. And is she going to be okay? And on and on.
0: Do you get to read it to little kids?
4: Yes, I do. And that and then I have it at animal rescue leagues and those kinds of things. And they just, you know, these little children, eyes just light up because I f- happened to find an illustrator and it just everything fell into place for this, these books. My illustrator, I ask an individual, I, I go, I'm writing a book, but I, I got to find an illustrator. And this individual said, I know one. And so this was her first book, but she just nailed it because she was not close to me. And I sent her pictures of the girls and she just made, I, she really made the book come to
0: life. So the hardest thing about a children's book is getting to children, right? Unless you have kids in school. Right. So how did you manage that?
4: Um, basically went to libraries and then went to um, dog kennels or, you know, the kennels, I have good relationships with veterinarians and those types of things. But libraries, uh, little book, when they have bookstores that have storytelling, those kinds of things. And I would just go in and say, hey, you know, here's this book. And the Rescue League even has um, storytelling for children at some of
0: their events. That's great. I know. So that's, that's so kinda, smart. It
4: just all fell into place, really.
0: But all your books are not dog books.
4: Yeah, my second one is about Betsy and it's the her LLC is Heavens to Betsy Books and then Betsy has
0: her wait. Betsy has her own LLC.
4: She does. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she has her own nanny. <laughs> Where she comes. I mean, so if I travel and sometimes, you know, like, um, some organizations say can Betsy come and it's like, absolutely. Betsy can come. And so then I have veterinarian tech that will watch her, but yeah, she's like this little four and a half, five pound little full blown treasure.
0: A lot of people find the most difficult part is doing what you did walking into places where it would make sense for their book to be mm-hmm. and saying, Hey, you know, I wrote this book and you know, could you put it on where your people wait to go in and see whatever? Mm-hmm. The thing is, is your book definitely has a niche.
4: It does. And it it has a purpose you know, finding her, my forever mom. And it's about Betsy, you know, and her grandma Barb calling and and kind of rescuing her, I think, and calling her and getting her to the place where, you know, Betsy will, you know, just totally thrive. And that is for children, you know, that are are in um, transition, foster care, you know, and these types of things. And they don't, they're so lost, Well, Betsy was lost, and it's okay, but don't ever give up. And that's what that book is about. Because I think so many times, you know, adults have that same fear, you know, or I've heard people pick up their puppy dog or cat or whatever the creature may be from a kennel or, you know, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't think they really had fun, you know, and it's it's a worry, I think. And children, you know, don't understand like, and especially when a parent travels, well, dad's going to be gone. Oh, my gosh. Well, is he ever coming back, you know? Yeah. So how many Betsy books do we have? Um, I have two at the moment that are published. And then, um, my illustrator just got me illustrations for snacking the Betsy way. Oh no. Betsy will get up at two o'clock every morning. Uh. I mean, I mean, she wakes us up and she'll go and she'll piddle and she'll, she snacks. So it's about not having to sit down and eat a full meal. I mean, clean your plate. What is that? (laughs) You know? (laughs) <laughs> and so there are so many children that will just snack or adults will snack Well, Betsy snacks and she's going to get the same nutrients, you know, but she doesn't want to sit down because we're all too busy and Betsy's busy. But, and she's, I don't have time. I got things going on. So I got to just grab.
0: What's Betsy doing? What, what's she busy doing?
4: Oh, you know, playing or overseeing, looking out the windows or <laughs> maybe she's traveling I and mean, doing all kinds of little things puppy dog
0: <laughs> This is great. <laughs> Lori, it sounds like so much fun.
4: It is fun. I'm having fun with it. Are
0: you just taking it one book at a time or do you have a plan or?
4: Um, you know, I never hardly plan. Um, I did my first book and I was so excited. I'd already started my forever mom because, um, that woman Barb is just endearing. And then, um, the snacking and the snacking I have I just submitted it to the publisher actually yesterday just to see if they'll take it which I think they will and the illustrations just are the preliminary sketches so yeah and I think you know um I want Betsy to really get well known but it's really hard to get them her out in the whole world you know you got to take little Bits and pieces of yeah, it. one step first. at a time.
0: Next thing you know, Betsy yeah. will be in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. She'll be a balloon. well that's you know? you know, like Elf on the Shelf. You no, know,
4: that is absolutely crazy. Because I said to her when I started doing the, the her first book, I go, "You need to be in Macy's parade." <laughs> and then when the parade was going on, I go, "Betsy, you didn't make it this year. We got to keep working." <laughs> she, was she
0: okay with that? Was she? she was good? Yeah, yeah, she was. You could do a stuffed Betsy that you know that comes with the book. I don't know.
4: Well, and then I was thinking about a coloring book. Coloring but Betsy. The coloring books, yeah. <laughs> but the coloring books now are so, you know, on their laptops and things. So I don't know. Yeah. But
0: well, you got some. You got some great ideas, Lori. You're cracking me up.
4: Well, that's fun. Yeah. Thank you. It was a surprise in writing books because I never thought I was that person, but it just happened.
0: Well, Lori, if you can do it, so can somebody out there who's listening right now. Going, I don't know well, maybe I could, mm-hmm. you know?
4: Yeah. Well, and you know, you never know. I mean, my answer is unless you try something, the answer is always no. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to try it. And if you, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And
0: then move on. Right. But. Well, thank you so much. You're, you're quite the inspiration, Lori Crab.
4: Well, thank you. <laughs>
0: thank you so very much. You have a great day. Hey, thank you. You as okay, well. bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Elysian Wordsmith, not a bad pen name for a young guy who is going all in with his first published book entitled The Quest of the Seven Blades, Book One, The Great Tree Labyrinth, The Prophecy Series. How long have you been writing? Uh, I've been writing for about, I think, six or seven years. So how old were you when you started? I think about 16. What made you start?
5: Um, Honestly, it kind of just started as something to do in the free time during study hall. It was just a rough draft of basically what I have published right now.
0: Oh, you started writing this when you were 16?
5: Yeah. I just really liked fantasy, something fiction, something I could just easily make up and pass the time, I guess. And then it just sort of bloomed.
0: So how many books are in this series? Oh, right now I have...
5: There's about 10.
0: (laughs) 10 books already?
5: Yeah, I, I do mostly self-publishing, but The Great Trees Labyrinth is the first one I've I actually gone through a real publisher.
0: All right, so you're going to start all over again with the publishing, it sounds like. Yeah. Did something happen in your life, or did this just come to you out of nowhere, or what? How did you come up with this?
5: Usually, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. I mean, I just sit down at the computer, and I just get to writing, and sometimes I go back through and edit some things out. But most of the time, it's just whatever pops into my head.
0: All right. So a talking rock popped into your head.
5: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and it burned into his hand. I, I'm going to, that's your main character? Uh, Yeah, that's Cal. Is that you? Uh, I mean, I, I based, I guess, some things off of
5: sort of my own personality. All right. And how I would react, I suppose.
0: So the book opens with a... Talking rock burning into Cal's hand.
5: Yeah. He ends up finding one of the legendary seven blades. And uh, the rock starts talking to him, telling him that he has to sort of go on this quest to find the other ones and the paladins that wield them, just so they can save their country.
0: The country is Arcadia? Yes. All right. And the, the quest of the seven blades involves an ancient sword that craves blood. Yeah. (laughs) All right, what does that mean?
5: Well, he starts to kind of tap into its own power, into the Blade's power. It kind of has a different effect on him. And it keeps pushing him to kind of dig into his own, sort of, you could say, his own sin of wrath, his anger. Because he's basically alone in the world that he's grown up in. He doesn't have anyone besides maybe a single friend and... He just has a lot of built-up rage, and it just sort of amplifies it.
0: What happened to his family? Do we know? Uh, That's something that the book sort of starts to uncover.
5: Uh, But as far as he's aware, his mother just left him at an orphanage, and that's it.
0: And his only friend is Amelia? Correct. How how do they meet? Uh, They
5: sort of just grew up in the same town, and she kind of just befriended him. They would both go out and train into the woods she would use her bow bow and arrow and he would use kind of practice a wooden with a wooden sword
0: what kind of town do they live in
5: uh it's a very small it's basically a medie- medieval town a lot of just wooden houses not even brick buildings except for the main castle
0: and what what is this great tree uh the great tree is
5: a massive just magically enchanted tree that kind of resides over a couple hundred miles like the the, the branches are widespread and uh, it's it's not even around his main town but eventually he has to kind of move that way once things get too complicated back at his main home.
0: What what makes it complicated? What's the conflict in your story? Well once he grabs hold of the blade
5: it uh, kind of puts out this sort of signal to a whole bunch of creatures bounty hunters, anyone that's willing to try and get this power. And it kind of brings it towards him and eventually gets Amelia's own father in a bad position where they have to go and try and save him from the own knights that are trying to protect their town. And once they sort of save him, they are chased out of the town and have to try and go into hiding.
0: And and, and who are the paladins?
5: Uh, the Paladins haven't been fully introduced. They get introduced more or less one at a time into each one of the books that come after
0: Paladins who wield them in time to lead the charge against Arcadia's aggressors. Correct. Alright, so we only meet one Paladin? Yeah, Cal is the first Paladin. So is he a good guy? He's a good guy? Uh, yeah, he's a good guy. Alright, we're trying to get all seven blades? Yes. And, and what happens when you get all seven blades?
5: Uh, hopefully, their power their power will be enough to kind of fight back and lead the armies of Arcadia against the well, their aggressors.
0: All right, who are their aggressors?
5: Well, in the first book, it just says that it's uh, dragons that have come back from a thousand years ago. They just pop up. Yep. And what do they want? Well, they originally what they believe is that they want to take over Arcadia. Originally, they ended up uh annihilating one of their one of the main races there are three main races you got wizards humans and warriors during the fight a thousand years ago the warriors were completely wiped out and the dragons ended up retreating but now they've come back
0: and their only hope is the seven paladins you didn't write a, a separate language or anything, did you? <laughs> no, no, I did not. Uh, who, who are some of the writers that you follow? I'd like to say I took some, I don't know, inspiration from J.R.R.
5: R. Tolkien, but honestly, I haven't even fully read all of the Lord of the Rings books. But I just kind of take inspiration from a lot of TV as well. Watching anything Marvel related. Uh, I also like to watch the movies of uh, anything by Studio Ghibli, which they're all anime-related movies okay yeah they sort of just i don't know give me some ideas and then i go off of that and then from there i write some other things that sort of just comes to mind so how are you promoting them right now i just use social media like instagram and facebook i either post pictures of my books and just write a little bit of snippets that try and grab people's attention i suppose definitely want to do some book signings and i got my uh at least my first book into my younger brother's high school. So they'll be doing like a book club on it. And
0: How did you do that?
5: Honestly, I just asked my brother if he could maybe ask the librarian if they would want my book. And honestly, it was just between my younger brother and the librarian.
0: And they said yes.
5: Yeah, she she ended up reading it and she liked it. So,
0: yeah. So that's a great start. So they're going to do a book club on it. Are you going to go in and talk about it?
5: Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to talk about it, but I think they would want me to have like a book signing
0: at school at one point. Well, that's the audience you want to reach, right? Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I good luck publishing the rest of these books. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I give you a lot of credit. Good for you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Finace Bush is a man on a mission, a man of accomplishments, and he shares how he's reached his goals and how you can too in his book, Great Thinking, The Bridge to Successful Living. But first, where'd you get the name Finace?
6: Uh, My father had 15 brothers and 11 sisters. Oh my gosh. And he said that when they named him, they were trying to name him what they needed. But they misspelled it by one N. <laughs> are,
0: you, are, are you serious?
6: Yeah, that's a joke. It's a running joke. But actually, as far as he knows, that's, you know, they just kind of threw that name on him. And he's had it since he was a little boy. Oh my <laughs> God. I'm I'm junior, and now there's actually seven of us. So, yeah, my son is the third. And then on down the line, we've got. There's actually seven finances.
0: That's a good story. You should write a book about that.
6: (laughs) I I got you. How long have you been writing? I started writing at age 21. I started journaling. And um, I've been a leader since age 14. So around age 21, I started in my devotional period chronicling my day. And it was important for me to pay close attention to things that were happening on a day-to-day basis, because I needed to see whether or not I was progressing in my life or not. Okay. I had these plans and objectives that I put in place and I wanted to accomplish them. And so I started writing. And from there, I wrote my first book entitled Structure, The Master Key to Kingdom Success, because I learned that my life had no structure and I needed disciplines I, I did not have any structure in my life. I would start things, but that I wouldn't finish. You know, I had a lot of projects open and uh, I later discovered as a leader that a lot of people have that same, same syndrome a problem a disease or whatever you call it. They start, but they don't finish. Right. <laughs> the book is titled, Structure the Master Key to Kingdom Success. It has 13 ingredients to structure. My vision needed transcription, my time needed an assignment, my relationships needed defining. My money needed a mission. My faith needed a definite goal and a chief aim, things like that. So they were 12 primary regiments and disciplines that were necessary to help me accomplish my goals and objectives by structuring my life. It has worked profoundly. I am a totally different person. Yes, ma'am. I'm 63 now. I've been in ministry since I was 14 years old. And I was determined to not live like most religious people who make a lot of promises and endear their hearts to a lot of principles that never fully manifest. So the book houses principles that actually became practical proofs to my life. And yes, ma'am, I have lived them out. My life is evidence.
0: So how long ago did you write that
6: book? I wrote Structure in the late... 90s.
0: Okay. And then did you keep writing after
6: that? Oh, yes. I probably read in about 60 something books since then. I've only published, fully published eight. Of those books. So the
0: other books are from other publishers, but we can find them.
6: Yes. Where everywhere books can be sold, you can find them. Okay.
0: So what made you go a more traditional publishing route?
6: Well, one of the problems of self-publishing is that you have to do all of your own marketing, everything. I stay too busy for that. Right. And it's hard to actually put together a team and manage it successfully and do all the other things that my life demands on a daily or weekly basis. Right. So what is this book about? The book, Great Thinking, The Bridge to Successful Living, really, in this book, it's a part of, of a trilogy. It was designed originally to be a part of a trilogy, a three-part series. So it was initially called Great Thinker's Academy. And that was primarily because I wanted to both educate and demonstrate the power and the privilege of our uh, intentional, strategic, and big picture thinking That is something that I don't see a lot of people engage as a pastor and as a leader. Okay. Uh, And probably as a parent. (laughs) (laughs) So I have 10 grandkids and I'm constantly trying to stimulate thinking, motivate them to think. And sometimes one of the things that I learned that people will do, if you allow them, is live without the assumption of responsibility for themselves because they do not think. Right, And so when I stumbled across the saying, um, Thomas Edison said, 5% of the people think, 10% of the people think they think, but the other 85 would rather die than think. <laughs> right. I, yeah, I saw why then he always concluded that thinking is hard work. That is why so few people do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Do you help us learn to think or take
6: the time? It's more about taking the time, isn't it? It's about taking the time to think. And I think, you know, I wanted to also address one of my noted frustrations as a leader concerning people who live without consideration of the potential that they possess. And, you know, because of their resistance to thinking, and I don't know what your experience has been, but um, I just noticed that a lot of people neglect thinking, and as a result of that, they they become subject to the systemic contrivances, biases, and entrapments of those who do think. Yes. You know? The book literally deals with my personal experience as a young man and then as a leader and all of the different kinds of uh, situations I've been in where in each case I've been allowed to uh, progress and be productive because I was determined to think for myself.
0: Can you give me an example?
6: Yes, definitely. Uh, In most of the organizations or affiliations that I've been a part of, uh, if there was an appointment to a board or becoming a board member, they would always ask me, I work for the city mayor, the mayor and the city manager, And as a result of that, they would always, you know, we would start as a board. I would always end up being appointed as the chairman of their boards. And from there, you would hear them make statements like the reason we appoint him is because he won't settle for just existing as a board member. He's going to demand that we function according uh, to the mandate of our existence or the reason why we're here, our goals and objectives. And finance won't tolerate us just being here uh, in faith. He's going to demand that we fulfill our obligations or that we just dissolve the board altogether. (laughs) So I I worked in a lot of uh, offices and carried a lot of titles over the span of my life as a leader, apart from being a senior pastor and bishop in ministry for 48 years.
0: So, what makes you a great leader? Are you able to motivate people without offending them?
6: Yes, uh, I have pretty good people skills. Actually, years ago, I I took I trained with Stephen Covey and about the uh, successful habits, habits of successful people. Okay. And um, I also w- attended Wilson Learning, uh, understanding people. Those modules really helped me to grasp what I had a conviction for in gift regarding people because I love people and I love motivating people to aspire higher or to achieve something from within themselves. It is my belief that most of us have an innate quality, this, um, this, this gift, we call it, from God, an anointing, this to un- function that gives us the ability to literally think through our challenges and overcome them. Nothing happens to us really greater than us is my, is my philosophy there. If it's happening to you, it's working for you. But you've got to give your mind to it so that you can see how, you know, God will lead you out of it, basically. Um, that's, private, that's in short.
0: <laughs> so you basically cite examples from your own life. Yes, ma'am and to inspire readers okay was there ever a situation you were in that seemed insurmountable
6: yes in 95 96 i was diagnosed with cancer and the same principle that i taught in the structure book uh, is the same principle that i live by and i would literally go up into my study room and pray and meditate I will use the Joshua 1 and 8 principle. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night until you observe yourself doing and being according to all that's written therein. Then shall you make your own way prosperous and you shall have good success. So I would literally go and shut down everything and stay there and literally rehearse the promises of God pertaining to the area that I needed to be to overcome in. And as a result of that, one night I was there I was in prayer, in meditation, and a real spirit of peace came into my room. And it was as if I heard a voice that said, "Uh, You're healed. Well, the next day, I was led to go back to the doctor, uh, the same doctors that diagnosed me. And from that diagnosis, they checked me and said, "Uh, We don't know what you've done, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it, because not only do we not only see any sign of cancer any longer. Uh, but now we it looks like your cells are re- rejuvenating. Well, my father died from pancreatic cancer. He was diagnosed with fourth stage and he lived about six months. I've been checked every since 96. I've been checked probably twice a year up until the last last year. At age 40, they told me that the average male his spine begins to develop a curvature. But between age 40 and 41, I gained a little over a half inch in height. And they told me it looked like my cells were still rejuvenating. (laughs) And today, I'm telling you twice a year, it's been affirmed that I have no trace of cancer. And it looks like I'm still getting healthier than I was as a young man.
0: What kind of cancer did you have?
6: I had a severe, like, skin cancer.
0: A, like, melanoma type of? Yeah. That's pretty amazing stuff you got going on there.
6: Yeah, it's been a joy. Well, the, I used the same principle for my finances. I used the same principle for my relationship. My wife said I was too dedicated as a pastor in our youth, and she left me, right? And so I went to God, and I said, Lord, I said, I, you know, I'm trying to do what you called me to do. And, it, you know, I don't understand why this could happen to me. So he just taught me how to be a true husband, man, using the same principle. We want my family back. They, come, they came back home. We wrote a book entitled Created to Love, But Don't Know How. And so she and I actually authored it together. And uh, we talk about the principles that I walked through to get her attention and that got the measures God used to, to bring her back to me. And, uh, and my family. So we've been together now 43 years that's, in marriage. That's
0: amazing. Well, um, I, if you aren't a shining example of the power of faith, uh, I don't know what is. Because you have unwavering faith.
6: Unwavering faith. I live by faith. Yes, ma'am. That's the majority of my messages. They come from the reality of faith. I told God when he called me to minister that if I, if I taught faith and it didn't work for me, I would not teach anybody else. And so it's just living according to the principles, obeying it, and the promises do manifest. They are real. The promises of God are yes and amen, just like the word says.
0: Well, and also and also believing that we're all here for a purpose and there's yes, something ma'am. for each and every one of us to do. There's no reason to be envious or jealous. Uh, you know, we're, we all have something special about us and, you know, the, yes. the hard part is tapping into that, and believing that that's what you're here for, and that's where you need to go.
6: It's, it's hard. And that's what the book talks about. <laughs> that's, I have a chapter there in the book that talks about the power to succeed is in you. And it deals with fulfilling your purpose, learning how to listen to the Spirit of God in your inner man. The, a lot of times what we lose is the essence of how God speaks to us because of the traditional measures that we've heard the gospel preached. And so we don't listen to that voice in our inner conscience and sometimes in our spirit, man, wherein God is literally trying to to line us up with something more purposeful that will give us the ability to overcome, but we do not give him our mind. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. He tries to prompt through through our spirit into our hearts, so that our imaginary chain was a feel with what he's showing us so that we can gain concept. And from that, we're able to be more purposeful. It's the way everything is created.
0: Wow. What a great message. People must know about your book and you talk about your book. Yes. And Right.
6: Yes, ma'am. We're getting it out. Yes, ma'am. We've been trying to make sure that we were doing things according to whatever page publishing suggested. So we've been kind of soft with it. Now we're kind of getting a little bit more aggressive and we're learning that a great deal of people are responding to the message. You know, I've got there's preachers and politicians and professionals of all sorts that's coming in for interviews and uh, television programs. Different people um, are asking me to interview me so that we can literally talk about the book. And, and learn how to use it. I've got pastors that's actually using it to teach their, their congregations for Bible study.
0: That should tell you everything you need to know. I think you're on the right track here. Thank you.
6: Thank you very much.
0: You're a great inspiration.
6: Thank you, Alice. All right. Bye-bye.